And if you turned a revolving door on its side, it would be like a wheel. Now, Shane, there's a there's a moon up in the sky, but it doesn't look like a big pizza pie, I'll tell you that. It looks like some scary happening here in New York City. Here in the city that never sleeps. And I'll tell you who never sleeps. Jack Nicholson. I don't even remember what his character's name is in this movie. It's uh it's holiday or it's the Chris or um Halloween's day. Ah. They say all Hallows Eve, but I don't think anyone ha- anything happens the day after. <laughs> Except the dang sugar hangover. Oy. Uh Benny, watch anything lately? Um, so in quarantine, I mean I've been um just kind of eating at like a buffet i've had to slow down the last couple weeks but i was averaging like 25 movies a week just working my way through experimental stuff working my way through some some hollywood classics i hadn't seen um wow just dumb shit um but you know one of my favorite movies that i've watched recently shane and and you were probably wondering why i invited you here tonight to this uh spooky mansion seance out here in uh wissahickon um Mm mm-hmm <laughs> that's my uh that's my rocking chair going back and forth right that's the crack uh-huh. on fire um uh-huh i'm in i'm stuck in the revolving door just can you're, barely you're, hear the creaking i'm shouting actually to you we've brought the levels way down here um i watched this uh-huh. movie wolf with jack nicholson have you seen this is that like wolf of wall street it, well, in the sense that it tries to play it both ways well okay you know how wolf of wall street successfully <laughs> plays it both ways with like uh-huh. Yeah, you know, this looks like it would be an okay time for some... Uh, for, oh, you can see why why this would be fun or why someone would get into this. And then it also is like, oh, this would be, like, harrowing, and this is just, like, a year-long hangover, and this is, oh, these guys are really disgusting. You know, it, like, does that both pretty well. Right. Um, like, yeah. successfully has it both ways. Has its cake and, eat, and eats it, too, without, like, throwing up. Um, uh-huh. This movie tries to do it both ways, too. Tries to um, get into... Maybe it would be kind of fun to be a werewolf. But also, ooh, wouldn't it be scary to be a werewolf? Wouldn't you be so afraid of what you might do? It tries to play it both ways there, but it's neither a very good time nor uh, at all a harrowing uh, look at uh, 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 lycanthropy. I think that's the word for for, for werewolf shit. <laughs> um, help me out here. <laughs> very, very astute comparison. <laughs> I can I can work my way into any sort of uh, roundabout comparison, Shane. I like that. Anywho... So I watched this movie, Wolf. Ah, from our old pal, uh, Mike Nichols. You know, it was a little bit of a blast from the past. You'll remember we uh, we discussed some of his films, uh, ooh, I don't know, several years ago. The cover of the movie makes it look like it stars someone named Nicholson Pfeiffer. <laughs> it's so, isn't that like so bold? Like, there's nobody, there are very few people you could do that with anymore, like selling them on like an, one name like that. Um, right. They try to do it all the time, but for me, I wish we should start by talking about our relationship with Nicholson, because for me, for much of my like young life, he was like my idea of a movie star, like in the, in the uh, old Hollywood sense, even though he's hardly like old Hollywood, he's more of, you know, what we call new Hollywood. But like, I don't yeah. know, like he was, he was part of like my first forays into like the less um like teenage boy the last like preteen parts of the imdb top 250 you know like mm. seeing the departed for the first time or seeing like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and being like wow cuckoo's nest yeah cuckoo's nest was one of the og like damn true film mm-hmm. and he's a, he's someone who has like he, despite the fact he has like really great range but it's within very much like a thing that he does you know like you never like every every like Every Jack Nicholson performance that I've seen, certainly all of like the iconic Jack Nicholson performances, see him doing some sort of like what we'd call the Nicholson shtick, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's helped by the fact that he's so distinctive looking. Those pointy eyebrows, yeah, like Spader. If you say one more word, I'm gonna shove a pencil up your ass. And it helps that he's somebody you can do an impression of. I, you know, I I want a goddamn chicken salad sandwich. <laughs> Jack Nicholson plays a... He's, uh, he's supposed to be the editor-in-chief of some major publishing house, which, I don't know, you and I both noticed made it very similar in at least one respect to uh, Vampire's Kiss. Um, I definitely thought of that movie a lot while I was watching Old Wolf 1994. And, like, Nicholson doesn't turn it up quite as... Well, he doesn't really turn much of his performance up 
as as high as Cage does his, but especially Cage famously does what he calls like a literary voice. You know, he has that weird, like, not quite British, <laughs> not quite, like, patrician yeah. accent. And um, the most we get of that from Nicholson is he does a little bit of, like, cocktail party talk where he kind of, like, pontificates. Yeah, he comes off sounding like Dwight McDonald being like, Well, if the if people weren't so goddamn stupid, we might have a literary... I don't even know what he says. He just says, like, popular culture is, like, is, like degenerate and... Um there's no high culture anymore it's just all taken up by pop culture do you remember exactly what he says there i meant to write it down it's it it struck me as like not an especially coherent piece of writing which is in keeping with the script in general a script that can't really decide what it's trying to say about anything well roger ebert found the film to be both a really interesting both a really like astute depiction of like new york literary circles and also uh, basically a documentary real look at <laughs> a documentary documentary like look at what it might be like if one of them became a werewolf um i don't know i think it really just kind of like <laughs> seems to have picked this um field for him at random um like there it seems like could have been mike anything. nichols is it it seems like i i felt that mike nichols was just trying to be like just trying to put his own little smart edge on it and that it doesn't really even make sense with the... It would have been cooler if he was, like, a finance guy, I think, and then, like, really kind of just blew up and started acting like a fucking freak, and and people are like, wow, you're the best finance guy we've ever had. But, like, it doesn't really serve his role at, at the literary company to, like, be a werewolf. Now, I wonder if, like, that is maybe what they were going... Maybe if that was too obvious, and we'd already seen that sort of thing in the 80s, and that was, like naturally where you go so they were trying maybe the choosing that him in like what's usually supposed to be kind of like a buttoned up pipe smoking field is supposed to like you know be be a juxtaposition with the fact that he becomes a werewolf but at the end of the day you cast jack nicholson the man who not to put too fine a point on it looks like the fucking devil you know (laughs) he's always i think Uh it's one of the things like stephen king didn't like about his casting in the shining he's like well, you see him and you go, okay, this guy is going to do something crazy at some point. He's going to turn evil. He's ultimately the right. antagonist, right? Or at best, an uh-huh. antihero. I, 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 as Ebert says in his review, not to keep quoting Ebert, but he's always something good to like push back against if, 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 if a little too easy a punching back. Like, you know, and Nicholson looks tired in the early scenes and worn out, like an old man smoking a pipe. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I still see him like Jack Nicholson. Like Jack Nicholson has been basically fat and basically bald since like the mid eighties. Yet his bit was still, he's a guy who fucks. There's not enough for me. Like there's not enough. Like the the only transition we really see is after he's already been infected by the werewolf. Like I think the the movie loses itself from the very beginning because the first thing we see is him getting by the werewolf, getting bit by the werewolf. There's no pre infection life, right? After. Yeah. We need to see him like fumbling around. I don't know, like like uh, his. I don't know his wife being like disappointed in him. We need to see like just just yeah, being a fucking yeah. loser. Besides, like the one scene we see where he like passes out and like sleeps for twenty four hours. Like once he's he has like one like anxiety attack post bite and sleeps for a day, True. and then it's suddenly oh cool, all right, everything's great. Uh uh-uh. uh, horses hate him. His boss is afraid of him. And James Spader gets pissed on by him. Jack Nicholson is Wolf 1994. That's the tagline. Inside every man, there's a He's a dog. He's <laughs> a dog. He's <laughs> a dirty dog. And as you, as you probably expect, but for a movie where Jack Nicholson becomes a werewolf, he also becomes a wolf in the Tex Avery sense. His eyes start popping out of his head. <laughs> In a wooga wolf, in yeah. a wooga wolf, if you will. The most famous kind of werewolf trope is that they become really good at negotiating contracts, which um, Mike Nichols gets a ton of mileage out of for this movie. He uh, he he gets him in. If you put Jack Nicholson in the same room as a contract, doesn't even have to do anything with him. He'll whittle it down to its barest qualities, and uh, and. Um, twist it around in his butt like it's a pen, like his butt's a pencil sharpener. Oh, Turn God. that thing into a little spade that he <laughs> digs a ditch with and buries the contract in, and says, uh, "Yeah, why don't you talk to my attorney?" Uh, they, I mean, he they, they, he basically posits that that is a power we would associate with werewolves, like unique persuasion. <laughs> he turns him into like a fucking vampire because 
He does. There are so many what ought to be like conflicts in this movie that are just sorted out so quickly by Nicholson like doing the fucking eyebrow raise. And that's not to say Jack Nicholson's not charming. That's not to say I wouldn't be like, oh, Jack. But like, I don't know. When he first speaks <laughs> to Michelle Pfeiffer, the first thing he fucking says is like, you know, I think you're uninteresting. I think you're a piece of shit. I think you suck. And then immediately she's like, well, you know, why don't you stay over for dinner? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, like, not st- some things can't just be wrapped up in a montage. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, if he was a vampire, then there would be the there would at least be the precedent that they're like seductive. Yeah. I, the only he he doesn't he goes through like a partial transformation for the first like hour and it's only at nighttime when he turns into a wolf they never call it a werewolf they just say demon wolf which again reflects that the movie doesn't know what it wants to do like is it ashamed of the fact that it's a movie that's dealing with this like werewolf stuff is it trying to be like a christopher nolan like batman version of 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 werewolf stuff is it trying to take it more seriously or is it trying to be a fucking goofy movie where jack nicholson runs around without moving his arms we should talk about those werewolf (laughs) at night scenes because we're we're covering this movie as if it's a horror movie, but I wouldn't say this movie's it's scary. Not. There's a couple. I, I think there were a few like jump scenes that I made note of that I was like, "Ooh, that's that's a little surprising." But it's not really at yeah. all a horror movie, other than the iconography it plays with. I will say it is the image of like a fucking bloated, sweaty, dead-eyed Jack Nicholson running toward the camera without moving his arms. We should say this is like the exact opposite of the Tom Cruise run. Jack Nicholson does a lot of running in this movie, and he keeps his arms Just, completely yeah. static at his side, both before was, and after the, the werewolf situation, I think, too, honestly. Yeah. There's something so hilarious about seeing his stunt double running through the woods with, like, Jack Nicholson's face on and bounding, like, 40 feet into the air. Like, floating. Like, very obviously has, like, cables attached to his shoulders. By the way, he just leaves the ground with his acceleration not changing at all. It just it, floats. It's it's a it's a unusual like very unsettling sight when Nicholson is running at the frame like that not very fast but with purpose <laughs> and then how suddenly yeah. it shifts to yeah him like literally like on all fours bounding after a deer oh, that course. scene is nuts now there's another yeah. example of the movie just not knowing what it is that maybe they thought it looked better than it did or maybe in ninety maybe in nineteen ninety four it's a year after fucking Jurassic Park it's hard to believe that these special effects would be like whoa. Maybe in 1994, this looked great, but it goes from being ridiculous. It goes from being like a bad CGI Jack Nicholson to him uh-huh. like snapping a deer's neck and it like screaming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fucking like, whoa. Like brutal animal cruelty. Yeah. Um, and another thing is that I guess it's more like a fantasy movie, but that's not even like a genre. It, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really go to like Willow level like... Like even when we see the mystic, it's not it's not like a witch. It's just like a guy that's like, yeah, I mean, demon wolves. It's something I've speculated about, but I can't really be sure. He's supposed to be like and, uh, an out there scientist, I guess. Is like how far they'll go. Yeah. It, and uh, all the people in this are like heads of literary magazines, insanely rich, already like the bosses of companies. There's no real underdog. Everyone is fighting for like the top position and they're going to be successful either way. And there's no one that you can really point like Jack Nicholson's character. There's nothing really to enjoy about him. He's like fucking his wife very happily at the beginning. His -hmm. wife cheats on him and then he just leaves her for like the hottest chick on the planet. Michelle Pfeiffer with that point was probably like the best looking person that had ever lived on the planet. I'd say that's like the only part (laughs) of the movie we're ever like, okay, like this is fun. When Jack and when, when when Jack and Michelle Pfeiffer are fucking, although okay, so she goes to visit him in the hotel and he's like, no, d- stay out, and he like locks the door, and then she gets like the housekeeper to come unlock it. He has like superpower hearing; he doesn't hear her talking to the housekeeper. Like I don't, <laughs> not to be the fucking cinemasins guy, like but five blocks away, and he yeah. can't hear someone like open the door. Oh yeah, we should talk about the onset of like the powers. So he gets bitten in like the first scene, and he's gradually first he's like sick, and then he's he wakes up and he's gradually got these powers. He's got fuck powers. He's got supersonic hearing. He can smell everything. <laughs> he, he can smell liquor on like every one of his coworkers' breath. And then he calls this guy for like answers. Like okay, so you know this guy was drinking like a mug of tequila this morning at the office. <laughs> he's got the bottle behind him, and you're calling him for like. Yeah help with this fucking like scheme you're trying to pull (laughs) yeah at the beginning they kind of i feel like the there's the scene of him 
with the super sonic hearing and the good fucking vision. He like doesn't need glasses need anymore. Glasses, yeah. Um, but it that's it. Like you get you just get the one scene where he has the supersonic powers which i wish there was more of it's kind of like at the beginning of a new leaf i wish the movie was just about a rich guy being like i'm poor and like doing all poor people stuff and i wish this was just about a guy at a literary magazine who had like just gained like what if a guy who worked somewhere just gained synesthesia overnight Uh um but no such luck here it goes too far they kind of they got to get Rick Baker on the payroll as much as possible, so uh, they they quickly get into the the night mode of of the movie. We should talk about yeah. So this movie has, besides the fact that it was directed by Mike Nichols and Elaine May, has I believe a credited like like screenplay credit. Like I don't think it's just a, a script she's supposed to have done work on. The score is by Ennio Morricone. Uh, the sets are by Bo Welch. Like it's a, a, and then obviously on screen we have Jack Nicholson, uh, Christian uh, Christopher Plummer, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, James Spader, David Hyde Pierce. It's it's a real. We haven't had this much talent squandered for just kind of a, a a nothing of a movie. I don't think since probably like the newspaper, and even that was mostly on screen talent that we were talking about. This movie like looks and sounds great, and like. Mm-hmm. Well, what did, what did Rick Baker really have to do with this movie? They really only give him, like, the hairy hands, and they give him, like, fangs. They don't wolf him up that much, even when they're going full wolf. That's true. They just put, like, fake hair on their face, like, the sideburns, and then, like, wrinkly faces. I guarantee you Nicholson was like, absolutely fucking not. I'm not letting you do, like, hours of makeup on me. I bet that's what it was. Because he did, oh, he, like, played for ball sure. for, like, the Joker and Batman. I, I think at that point became, like, the highest paid actor. Like, made the highest money, the, the highest salary that any actor had ever made for a movie. I bet he was like, I'm never fucking doing that again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The budget for this movie was $70 million. Yeah. Which Roger Ebert <laughs> rightly says, like... Where did the money go? <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe it was a laundering scheme. Honest, well, I God, I bet Jack got like 20. I don't know. Michelle Michelle might have gotten a ton. Um, yeah, and then I don't know. Maybe I the fact that like the, the movie just seems like such a jumble. It really I maybe it passed hands between so many screenwriters who all got money. Uh maybe it just got mm-hmm. caught in fucking extended maybe they maybe even on the set they couldn't tell what they were making and maybe the shoot ran over or something. But I, I was surprised to see that an IMDb trivia fact was that, like, Nichols had the editor on set every day to make sure everything was going smoothly because, I don't know, did this strike you as a movie where the left hand knew what the right hand was doing? I don't know. It all felt very underplayed to me. The tagline of this, one of the taglines of this movie is the animal is out, which mm-hmm. you would think would be like, oh, Jack Nicholson is finally going to, like, lose his shit in, like, a fantasy movie where he can do whatever he wants and, like, everything is, you know, above board. Mm-hmm. But... The most insane acting he does is like, I can't even think of it. What would you say? Uh, he goes a little, he does like half of a transformation toward the, like the climax of the film where he like fights with uh, Spader, who we'll talk about a little bit more. But yeah, no, I mean like it, there, there's like several versions of this movie you can imagine. I mean, Jack Nicholson is a werewolf. Like I said, writes itself. You, this is either uh, a sex right. comedy with Jack Nicholson as a werewolf. It's, an actual like horror movie with Jack Nicholson as a werewolf. Ooh, how scary if we really took? Because oftentimes this is taking like the gore of like werewolf attacks seriously. Like, Jack Nicholson like bites that dude's fingers off at one point when he starts going around as a as a um, uh-huh. as a wolf. Like scenes with that like deer and stuff. Those seem ripped out of an actual like horror take on this material, or at right. least a more uh, more horror adjacent. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> There, do you remember when he, he he's running through the? I know you, you said you enjoyed the music, but there were some really incongruous. Oh, songs. honestly, the score didn't really stick out to me. I, I just was surprised to see it was Morricone. I didn't make much of a note of it watching it. Honestly, oh, gotcha. So he's chasing that deer, and I feel like in any chase scene, if you want to just like play it safe, a beating drum will be enough to kind of get you in the zone of like oh fuck like the heat is on in this movie it's like a, a treble only pan flute song like as he's like 
run, <laughs> leaping over like thirty foot trees, chasing this doe in the woods, and like catching it and breaking its neck, and it's just like la 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 la. And similarly, in the final climactic fight scene, there is kind of like a drum beat, like do 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 do, but then this lazy saxophone will like cut in. I, I have to include it because it's just really bizarre, but a saxophone will come in just like, like plays up this kind of noir aspect of it, which I guess is sort of a part of this movie just with like, it's sets in like uh, office buildings and mm-hmm. old hotels, but like just at the absolute wrong times during the climactic fight scene, a lazy saxophone, it really just didn't get me there. Um, that climactic fight scene is another example. It's so fucking good. When Jack Nicholson is just like angry <laughs> behind the bar. <laughs> uh, it's another example, though, of where the movie can't pick a tone. Like, Sometimes, like, being a werewolf is, like, cause for, like, quippy stuff, and and, and sometimes Mm. it's, like, James Spader, like, threatening rape, you know? Like, very... Yeah. And that whole, the choreography of the whole scene is very, like, brutal. Oh, my God, they, like, have Michelle Pfeiffer's, like, underwear getting ripped off. And it was just so out of tone with the rest uh, of it. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer's fucking 36 when this was filmed. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's like uh, it's like an example. I mean, it, it, it's 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 weird coming from a movie where we've also got like Jack Nicholson going, "Oh, I feel good," and it, it, again, it'd be one thing if the movie coherently moves toward that tone, you know? Like there are tons of movies where mm. it's you know, there are tons of movies where it goes from being a good time. Again, like use the Wolf of Wall Street example, a movie that goes from being a good time to being a horrible time. You know, I, why not make it right. a movie about how being a werewolf was cool until it wasn't? And and instead it is always trying to be both, but never yeah. until like James Spader is like ripping Michelle Pfeiffer's off, clothes off, or Jack Nicholson's like biting somebody's fingers off, never going too far in either direction. Um, uh, weird. And that, yeah, that lazy sacks over everything. Odd. How about, <laughs> there's two things that... I've never considered to be a werewolf's powers. One is gracefully bounding like 15 to 20 feet in the air. And the second is that their weakness is getting sprayed with a fire extinguisher. Michelle Pfeiffer is practically getting raped by James Spader as a werewolf. And she gets the wise idea to just spray him with a fire extinguisher, which is just paralyzing. And it works. It's... And it's treated as if she just shot him with, like, a silver bullet. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's... Which, where's the silver bullet? <laughs> that never... Well, you're, you're forgetting something, Shane. Uh, Jack Nicholson, James Spader, and uh, I guess we'll spoil the final shot of this movie, Michelle, Michelle uh, Pfeiffer. They're not werewolves in this movie, Shane. They're demon wolves. Right. Demon wolves are Which... uh, good with contracts. They, uh, they eat corned beef with their bare hands. Uh, right. They have I creepy have yellow eyes, that. and they can bound. Yeah. Was this made after Vampire's Kiss? Yeah, I think 11 years after. Um, Vampire's Kiss is uh, 83, I believe, mm. which might also be the same year as The Fly, which Eber compares this to, which is another sort of movie about someone like gradually becoming sort of a uh, a, a, a monster out of uh, you know horror cinema. Um, although that's, I guess, a reference to just one kind of standalone uh, horror classic. <laughs> uh, there, there's one line, I think this is the line, um, someone says like, what's your business? And Jack Nicholson, my Jack Nicholson says, my business is pleasure. George, does she look like the fuck of a decade? Isn't it from basic instinct? <laughs> oh, maybe, no, there's like a fuck of the blank line in basic instinct. I think that Michael Douglas says Michael Douglas and Jack Nicholson are, are cut from a sort of similar cloth as, as on-screen personas. They're both kind of, even when they aged well past it, sort of guys who are only ever playing real, uh, real Lotharios, uh, if you will. Um, mm, I don't know mm. if you've ever seen Terms of Endearment. Like that was the movie where Jack Nicholson like crossed over into like, oh yes, I'm fully embracing my hairline and my gut. That's eleven mm. years before this, <laughs> like <laughs> twenty years, thirty years before The Departed. Um, 
I don't know. I, uh, I I really love that about him that he's like seemingly not very vain at all. Even if he won't uh, commit to like putting on like werewolf makeup, even if he's not necessarily like a sport, at least he's uh, at least he's game to sort of uh, you know put himself out there. Hmm. I I did like the the um, Hindu mystic that they meet halfway through. Uh, I liked that hit. Again, it's kind of two ways, but I was sold on it when it happened that he's just like this normal guy that has a red light bulb in his apartment, which you think is going to be like one type of guy. And then he's actually just like, no, I'm going to die. And uh, demon wolves are very cool. He does say like, will you bite me so that when I die, I can can be like a badass wolf. I think he says like, they're not bad. They're just like, you know, they're they're actually kind of cool demon wolves i actually it feels like it's a very cool set his whole like cluttered apartment um again mm-hmm. great production design from bo welch in this movie i um i like that sequence a lot though it feels ripped from another movie and again it feels like it's it's like another emotional register and i'm fine with 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 movies juggling tones but then the job of the director has to be you know keeping those balls in the air in a coherent circle right or like Keeping, mm. you know, it, it's fine to be, you know, uh, we wouldn't have orchestras if people didn't conduct multiple instruments, but there's like a reason professional people, there's a reason that some people are good at it and some people aren't. And I don't know, Mike Nichols really, for like a guy who in his earliest films seemed to have such like an innate grasp of, of the medium, just seems kind of like, I don't know, lost with this one, with, with tones and set settings and, and uh, I don't know, almost everything. I mean, it's fine performances, I guess, from from Jack and Michelle, but as even Ebert notes, they don't seem to have much chemistry. Like, never really much of a believable relationship, and maybe that's because the, the script elides any of the actual, like, winning one another over in favor of Nicholson mm. just nagging her, but I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> I think you and I talked to me, like, after we saw this about, like, Mike Nichols. Like, he he's a guy that obviously knows how to just completely push boundaries and makes make like a high piece of art with um with uh who who's afraid of Virginia Woolf like he's proven to us that he's capable of like thinking outside any box mm-hmm. and he with this movie i guess like being a smart guy like that you're like you know like i did i i fucking I ran the New York Marathon. Of course, I could do like a five k and just like uh-huh. make a pit like stupid little horror movie, and it'll be easy for me because I'm so smart. Not the case. I mean, it's like, I it makes me think more highly of Ron Howard that to be good at these stupid fucking movies, you actually have to like believe in it. But it seems like Mike Nichols really just kind of doesn't know how to like make these things really slap, or like how to even make a moment, like a scene, really be good in like a regular movie besides like framing them i mean this is this is never an uncompelling movie to look at besides when it features the weird like jack nicholson running like there's a lot of like great compositions like i shared this on the (laughs) the the, the extended clip discord like there's a bunch of like one perfect shot moments in this movie um Mm -hmm. that aren't you know necessarily grown worthy i I just wondered like if he he just needed a great if he's a guy who needed a script i wonder if there's like a real moment where he fell off because i i'm thinking on like the last movies he made and I can't really think of, I mean, I didn't like Primary Color, certainly didn't like Charlie Wilson's War. I guess, like, The Birdcage is the last, because I, I thought The Birdcage was fine for, for the parts mm-hmm. of it that have aged poorly. I think that's him working from a pretty decent script. Um, mm-hmm. And again, never never less than interesting to look at. Um, and he's obviously got, like, good command of actors, although, again, like, I, these are hardly the best performances Michelle Pfeiffer or, or Jack Nicholson ever turned in. Does Mike Nichols ever make a good movie again? Uh, post Wolf, let's see. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly haven't seen most of them. I don't think, but I mean, I've seen Closer, which I was not a fan of. I've seen Charlie Wilson's War, like I said. Um, Do you think um, Diane Sawyer just like totally normified him? Oh, I think we were saying that. Yeah, that's when he just became like kind of like a Tom Hanks, like uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, to your question about whether or not Mike Nichols ever directed a good movie after this, I mean. The Birdcage is his immediate follow-up, and that's, I guess, fine. So that's, I mean, it's a soft yes. And then he did he did Angels of America mm. for H- Angels in America for HBO, uh, the, the adaptation of the play. People like it's got a very big Al Pacino performance. Um, I guess. What I don't, 
I don't understand how Elaine May hung on for all these years. Maybe it's just like I've got a friend who's really successful and can do like movies with great actors. I mean, I I mean, I I guess when you're making a movie, you can't really tell it's going to be mm, okay. Um but I I mean, you would Elaine May knows better. I mean, she made great movies her entire career. Well, it looks like she's not credited as a screenwriter on Wolf. I think she's just regarded as having um, done like edits on it. So I think this is just probably an example of her doing Mike Nichols a favor. Um, I um, I, guess I think she just genuinely buddies. like just doesn't like the spotlight. I mean, I think uh, I think she's yeah. probably I I I don't want to like psychoanalyze. I, I mean, I, I'd have to imagine she'd like to have directed another movie over the years, but I. I Given that she's had like opportunity to keep working and has obviously like garnered more and more respect throughout the years, probably also like just mm-hmm. as well not having to deal with people in the spotlight and shit like that. Right. Seems like a pretty private person. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, did you want to read the Andrew Saris entry on Mike Nichols? Speaking of Mike Nichols, yeah. And keep in mind, <laughs> this is when he directed like two. I've never seen Catch Twenty Two. I understand it's it's good. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? The Graduate. Two movies we like a lot. Two like I don't know important movies in in American cinema. Movies yeah. that were greeted as gr- greeted pretty rapturously. Um, Andrew Saris mm-hmm. doesn't seem to agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and keep it. Yeah. So this is in 1968, uh, or I guess 69. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything Mike Nichols has touched on stage and screen has turned to gold, if not glory. Why then did there remain little pockets of cultural resistance to his magical manipulation? He was criticized, perhaps unjustly, for taking Virginia Woolf out of doors into shivering cinematic reality. Richard Burton gave a good performance. Elizabeth Taylor was monotonously shrill. Sandy Dennis was excruciatingly mannered. Now, you and I would both disagree with that, I think, after rewatching it. I think we we both found Mm -hmm. that Sandy Dennis was probably the best in the movie. George Siegel was excessively bland. True. I think he's probably the least interesting. Uh, The film seemed seemed to preen itself on honesty. Uh, Yeah, yeah, preen itself on honesty. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase. Um yeah what the hell <laughs> but, but why were the settings so express- expressively sloppy was this an example of the subtlety that Nichols is bringing to Hollywood uh, many critics thought so the public thought so Mike Nichols stood up to receive the directorial award from the Directors Guild of America but the calling of his name turned out to be a mistake Fred Zinneman a director of infinitely duller and more honest than Nichols was tapped for the dry as dust academics of a man for all seasons whereas Nichols merely transferred Virginia Woolf he transcended the graduate Nichols was not catching in on the Burtons and Edward Albies with the graduate and Bancroft, Dustin Hoffman, and Catherine Ross had little marquee value of their own, and Charles Webb's novel, Little Pre-Sold Potency. Nichols had turned the trick with a neatly eclectic style borrowed from directors as disparate as Federico Fellini and George Stevens, Ingmar Bergman and Richard Lester, Michelangelo, Michelangelo Antonioni, and Orson Welles. His supporting actors were dreadfully caricatured. Again, I disagree. I, I think my favorite people in The Graduate are like Benjamin's parents. Um, the suspicion persisted in shamefully skeptical circles that Nichols was more a tactician than a strategist, and that he won every battle and lost every war because he was incapable of the divine folly of a personal statement. <sighs> no American director since Orson Welles had started off with such a bang, but Welles had followed his own road, and that made all the difference. Nichols seems too shrewd ever to get off the main highway. His is the cinema and theater of complicity, and the customer is always right, except in the long view of eternity. I, If someone wrote that about me, I would shoot myself in the head i don't know I... <laughs> imagine uh like being an artist your whole life and then these critics just act like they're your dad <sighs> just write fucking books about you that you have no say in this i mean i i love this book because this is like what i've always wanted i just want someone to like occasionally flatter my taste like i don't know he loves like joseph von sternberg and occasionally just like occasionally also yeah occasionally scald me occasionally make me feel like an idiot for liking something and then just generally like tell me what i should like and why that's that's all i've ever needed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no just imagine like because nowadays like we were talking about this before we got a mic like nowadays so many like critics are like friends with filmmakers and they're like i don't know like exchanging memes and shit on social media it's so fucking lame and like they should all be ashamed of it and like i don't know in 1969 andrew saris called mike nichols like complicit in the death of art basically oh man i don't think mike nichols was complicit in the death of art but i think we talked about as we went through his later films that it definitely showed that like i don't know i think he got tired of uh of fighting back against uh studio interference and stuff whereas who's afraid of virginia wolf and the graduate have this kind of like i don't know like young man's kind of fuck you energy the other ones are sort of like Mm -hmm. an old man's idea of those and you can't fault a director for simply like getting older but I don't know. I uh, I think it's why I prefer directors like James Benning and uh, Louis Bunuel, who who had their best work, you know, uh, later in their career. 
Yeah, and and also seem bent on not ever making money. <laughs> and you like that I uh, yeah, used James Benning and Louis Bunuel there, someone who only uh, Scott McDonald would ever <laughs> compare together. Uh, uh, Scott McDonald and me, I guess. Um, Spader, similarly to Nicholson, is kind of wasted in this movie. The same way Nicholson only gets like five minutes to do kind of like Wolf, wh- wolf Whistle Jack. Um, yeah. Spader, a guy who now just like exudes sleaze, and even when he was kind of hot, exuded like wasp asshole, gets like two minutes of being like, oh, oh, oh like jerk at work, and then I, I don't know, like never. four minutes well, of going wolf, I mode, never. wolf mode, most of, most of which is just uncomfortable. Like, I, I like the scene where he's getting interviewed by the police, although, like, not to be the cinema sins guy, we're supposed to believe that they're like, uh huh, uh huh. They're like taking his story seriously and I like believing it when he's got fucking like bulging yellow eyes and his teeth are like sharpening and dripping in front of them. It's like, ay, ay, ay. It kind of takes away from the performance because you can't, I mean, I don't know. It it makes the act, you, you can't really notice as much of the acting when like so much of their face is covered up in wolf makeup. I don't know. It's just, I, I didn't really, like at that point I wasn't, I guess part I I I thought it was kind of cool, but I just kind of tuned out at the end during like the climax. I I I kind of wish that it was just more Jack Nicholson having like synesthesia. I would rather watch like a fucking I'd rather I hate TV, and I would rather watch a TV series of Jack Nicholson as a guy who works at a literary agency and has synesthesia than yeah watch two two hours and fifteen minutes of him I guess sort of being a werewolf again. Yeah, I mean we'd mentioned earlier yeah. that all of the conflicts feel uh, sort of tossed off and everything feels sort of convenient. To summarize the plot in like 90 seconds, basically, Jack Nicholson is the editor-in-chief um, of a literary uh, house, and some billionaire buys it who really doesn't like him, um, throws this party, tells him he's fired, um, James Spader is taking his job. Meanwhile, Jack Nicholson had thought James Spader was his protege. Uh, slowly, Jack Nicholson turns into a wolf. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is the billionaire's daughter. They strike up a relationship, I guess basically just to spite him. I guess I guess that's the, where the spark comes from. I guess that's what makes it sexy, you know, the, the illicit uh, thrill of uh, of sleeping behind Christopher Plummer's back. I don't know. Um, right. James Spader kills Jack, Jack Nicholson's wife. Cheats on him with James, James Spader. Um, someone kills Jack Nicholson's wife. Jack Nicholson thinks it James might be Spader him. goes. Uh, oh, was I'm so sorry me? that there was a misunderstanding. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, Jack it. says, I want a goddamn chicken, chicken salad sandwich. Um, yeah, it, it, so... Your Jack, ass is crass, Spader. Spader. Uh, Jack wonders if he might have killed her, and that's when the movie tries to, like, go become this, like, harrowing, like, oh, what have I done story. He pees on James Spader's shoes. He really easily gets his job back from Christopher Plummer because he's brilliant with contracts. James Spader decides maybe he can frame Jack Nicholson for killing his wife. It turns out James Spader killed his wife, and then they have the showdown. And then the last shot, once again, also just feels really perfunctory. Michelle Williams kind of walks off into the distance. It becomes clear she's got a superpowered sense of smell now, and uh, then it cuts to Jack Nicholson, I guess, howling at the moon. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's now kind of yellowy eye. Ooh. Uh oh, Rick Baker got a hold of Michelle Pfeiffer, and the results will shock you. Whoa! <laughs> you, don't, you won't believe what Rick Baker looks like today. <laughs> Rick Baker took his signature axe and paintbrush to Michelle Pfeiffer's head, and you're gonna shit yourself when you see what color eyes she has. I will say, you won't believe what Rick Baker looks like today in the sense that you would not believe that someone would keep rocking the ponytail for 40 years. The man has had the gray ponytail <laughs> for nearly half a century. Let me see. Which I guess, hey. Oh, damn. You got, like, fucking, if your hair grows in that way, go for it. Because I would kill for straight hair right now with what I'm working on. I kind of have the Jack Nicholson like devil horn thing going on right now. Yeah. Just a lot more length. <laughs> it seems like um, a lot of this movie... <laughs> Which I imagine it's tough on any movie with Rick Baker. You kind of got to use him as much as possible, or like you can't really cut out his like work that you've probably spent like five hundred thousand dollars on. So a lot of this movie just gets lost to like the like having to include a lot of transformation shots when that is mostly just kind of like be real of them running through the woods mm-hmm. and uh, then him waking up being shocked that he's covered in mud. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, 
I, I wish Jack and James had agreed to more visceral transformation sequences. Just since that tends to be kind of the selling point of any um, vamp- uh, werewolf movie. See, now I'm mixing them up. Um, you know, I'd rather piss in your mouth, but we're at work, so I can only do it on your blue suede shoe, Spader. My piss reeks like shit, because I ate roast beef and asparagus last night. Remember he does say, like, because James Spader's walking out, wiping up his shoes, and he goes, Oh, sweet! And James <laughs> Nicholson does go, Asparagus. Asparagus. So good. <laughs> One great line in this that was movie. Good. And I That's laughed true. out loud when she asked, "Oh, how do you feel?" And he says, "Good." I uh, I I, I feel good. Well, honey, I feel. I know I don't sound it or look it, but I feel good. I feel like when Bigfoot was thirteen years old. <laughs> how about how? Um, I feel like they go more over the top with like the sweaty anxiety attack Jack makeup than they do with the werewolf Jack makeup. There's that scene when he's at the party and he's like dripping. That's true. And he bumps directly wish... into Michelle Pfeiffer, who just happened to be there. Yeah. I like that he spooks the horses. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good horse acting. Seems Ooh. like they were actually traumatized. Uh-huh. When Michelle Pfeiffer gets like tossed off the horse in super slow-mo, that's like truly... I could have been watching this on my phone the at weird... two times speed, and I would have still been like, hey, speed it up. Yeah, the fucking... It's like digital slow-mo like it's still at like 24 frames and they just like very weirdly like they don't slow it down they like i don't know blend the frame so it just becomes this like vhs ass like blurry slow-mo it looks like someone like half recorded over the tape or something and it's also like an effect that's employed like twice they use slow motion like three times in the movie i never understand that like i feel like it's either gotta be Something you employ for like a single uh, big moment or something, or as yeah, like a yeah. major component of your style. I mean, I prefer directors like really never use it at all, unless it's like extreme slow motion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like in like a durational sort of a movie where you're watching something like go across the screen in extreme slow motion, right? Or something. When you're watching, um, when you're watching a boat go up the Hudson, uh-huh. I'd prefer example. that to be as slow as possible. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I this movie, I. You have such an idea in your head of Jack Nicholson as a werewolf, and I don't know. You're like, how can that? Because he looks like a dang wolf. I cannot looks believe like he doesn't act anymore. I can't believe he's gonna go out on the James O. Brooks film. How do you know? We didn't see a single movie from him in the last decade. Doesn't that suck? Whoa, that's weird. Right. I think he was one of the only. I think he might have been the only person to be nominated for an actor in four straight decades. Let me count: seventy, eighty, ninety. 2000 yeah and then he never did a movie in the 2010 so he couldn't uh, he couldn't make it five well he did how do you know but um never did that tony erdman remake oh <laughs> i'm sorry that would have sucked but it also would have been a movie where jack nicholson is doing i don't know some approximation of the tony erdman thing i mean come on yeah i i watched that last night holds up it might be my f- tony erdman it holds up it might be my favorite movie really it is just inc- so incredibly good there's just so much to it. So fucking funny. I nearly shit my fucking pants. It's it's very, very good. It's among the, the, the bigger like laughs I've ever been a part of in a theater when he first turns around with the teeth. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, there, I, uh, there are a few brief scenes that, like, I, I just don't know how you could come. I don't know how you could make up a one-liner as fucking hot as some of the lines that come out. Yeah, that movie rules. Movie. I, I've only seen it in its entirety the one time, and then I've watched bits and pieces over, uh, I guess, like the two probably years. I um, I don't know. If you'd asked me to rank her three films, I think I go Forest for the Trees, Everyone Else, uh, Tony Erdman. I mean, they're all great. Uh, you should watch Everyone uh-huh. Else, because I think it's honestly like one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It's full of like, That's the only one I haven't slapstick. seen. James Spader's fucking my own wife. James. Of all people, James fucking Spader. I guess I'm making him sound a little bit Dennis Hopper. (laughs) Had to fuck the lawyer guy. What show is he in? Boston Legal. Boston Legal. I don't want to like dunk too much on James Spader, but I actually think if we put this question up to like, like, uh, like you know, uh, a Reddit, a large online community. 
and we really gave him some time to think and we even asked like pop culture experts and people who've really studied uh the careers of like of actors i don't think anyone has ever aged worse than james spader james spader it seems like after like there was a period of two years where he just got stuck in like the clock stoppers um double double speed hyper speed motion Mm -hmm. got hit by like some bad acid rain and his just went instantly bald i guess alec baldwin is up there too for someone who like seemingly everything they ever ate or drank went to like their head and face um, they <laughs> right. got the just kind of like big Ugh. every features puffy sort of look and i, I do actually yeah. want to dunk on alec baldwin fuck alec baldwin but yeah yeah it's like somewhere in 2010 to 2020 i, I don't like he, he just like i don't know had some weird like menopause sort of like he he looks like different people because really on the does. cover of Boston Legal, he's got brown hair. In the entirety of the show, he's got like silver hair, and then immediately after it, he's just completely bald and like three hundred pounds. He's, I mean, he's more so than any celebrity. I think if you looked at pictures of him like four different decades, you would be like, oh, is that is that like are they each other? Is that like his kid? Different. Is that this guy's kid? Is this? Yeah, it's <laughs> just quadruplets. Strange, very strange. Um, he's okay in this movie. I mean, he doesn't really get to turn it up. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I need to see Sex Lies videotape, because that's apparently, like, the spader at his spaderiest movie. Um, mm-hmm. In the James L. Brooks movie, I'll Do Anything, uh, Albert Brooks's character is listing off um, reasons why he doesn't want to cast certain actors in his movie, and he says of James Spader, too vanilla. Now, can you imagine saying that James <laughs> Spader is too vanilla? What? It's like all Why, spice he was that on guy. TV? <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it was like a bit that they're like bad reasons to not cast these people because I think he also calls like he calls like Jeff Daniels a bean pole or something and like I don't know. I don't think of Jeff Daniels being a weird skinny guy. Bean pole, too vanilla, vanilla bean, too vanilla. And meanwhile, yeah, he's grating chocolate over you know <laughs> over the damn film strip. Folks. There you go. Over my there's a moment in Tony Erdman where <laughs> sorry there's <laughs> in Tony Erdman there's a point where Tony uh starts grating cheese over his own head mm-hmm. no one laughs uh-huh. and the scene ends <laughs> uh, that's I, I think yeah. one of the reasons I really like that movie and like just the the premise so much is that I'm someone who loves laughing at my own jokes and tony erdman is is there ever been a character who was more committed to bits and was more committed to shtick at all no. costs was more i, like I, I said he, to bits yeah Manifold that's like uh that's what it means to be in the trenches of comedy not as a comedian but as just a pedestrian like oh in the I, trenches I as a fucking soldier of comedy the feel i mean because oh, that man takes absolutely shrapnel when no one laughs at your fucking grating cheese in your head joke and you have to then recover from that, imagine what happens after that cut. Oh, the ring in your <laughs> I mean, I ears. guess he's probably like, uh, fuck it. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess they also, he's They're... made out to be a pretty depressive guy too, I suppose, but... Uh, uh yeah. I deeply um, understand the moment where he sneaks into his daughter's apartment with a key that he has and she he hears her rustling and he immediately just goes hide and hides in a closet not knowing how it's going to end up but knowing that this could potentially be part of a joke and then ends up just terrifying her and he's like listen i'm sorry and he's wearing like a fucking oh, like fuck. i forgot about that yeah he opens the door like slowly and goes like all right don't be alarmed or something he's like that like, yeah i'm don't be scared yeah it's scares like, jesus christ uh-huh I like you. Almost wonder if they set that up with like he didn't know she didn't know when he was gonna pop out because it's so perfectly like calibrated. No wonder right. she's only made like three movies in fifteen years because they make three that are that fucking on the money. Where just like there's not a beat out of place. No, like, it's wild. It is wild. And like, what do you think is harder, po- making like an eighty-minute movie as good as Forest for the Trees, or a half an, or a three-hour movie as good as Tony Erdman, where like nothing feels out of place? You know what I mean? They're both. It's like a great short story or, or like an epic novel that question. never feels bloated. You know, they're both they're both uh-huh. tough. Yeah, it's a good question, Bennett. I don't know something about it. Like I don't know why. What about it makes it a totally un you know totally fine two hours forty minutes. Like you never feel that it's like dragging. It never even feels like a long movie. No, honestly, I think it's because there are so many um, like 
moments of uh, of anticipation like that where you're just like well how the fuck when this bit ends boy howdy are we in for like a fucking you know a calamity yeah yeah no lulls um any uh any closing thoughts on the uh the, the, the thoroughly mediocre um really just kind of uh not all that interesting mike nichols movie uh wolf um i have fun watching it uh it feels like i'm back in the movie saddle again i'm watching a movie about every damn day yeah. really just driving everybody in the house up the wall by doing it too um, including both the cats. I figured out I can de- plug my headphones directly into the uh, amp for my TV. So it's, ju- it's just me sitting five inches away from the television in a chair that's dragged right up close to the screen uh-huh. and just the world revolving around behind me as chores don't get done, uh-huh. the laundry piles up. Nice. No one gets fed. Uh-huh. Um, can I share with you a so, quote um, from this documentary, Cinemania, which I'm going to also send you the film. It's about... Um, oh, I, I wanted to see that. I saw a trailer for that a long time ago. Yeah, I um, I did watch it. And it's about it, those it, film freaks, right? Yes, and film freaks is probably an apt term. Honestly, I don't even think they would they would bristle at it. Um, I, I, I'm glad to hear that you're back on like a journey of cinema, that you're really... Uh, mm-hmm. That you're suckling from the teat, uh, eating from the trough, uh, drinking from the soda fountain again. Um, yeah. I'm just, um, I'm stalling for time. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to vamp here. And I, I'm running out of uh, analogies. Um, uh-huh. Running out of consumption. <laughs> metaphors. I'm, I'm really metaphors. glad. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that you're um, back in the, in the cinephile's life. And while I'm not glad to hear that it's upsetting your significant other and your pets, I am, I'm glad to hear that you are taking like a, well, mm, that's the way it is attitude to anything like that. Because as this one guy who... Oh boy, reminded me so disgustingly of me, especially when I'm looking like this sad. Uh, oh no. Shane, the commitment to cinema ultimately entails a commitment to a technically deviant lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You're meant to live on the margins. You're meant to upset, annoy, concern oh. those around you. But Yes. Buddy, that's life. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May, but I...